Uh, we start off this Sunday uh, with kind of a message on prayer, and then again as we go through the week, uh, there's a number of different daily blogs, videos that will be coming out with uh, different ways to focus on prayer each day, uh, as well as some helpful suggestions on what to be praying for, how to be praying for it, uh, and the like. So look for those things to be coming out on a daily basis uh, all this week. Uh, again, this coming Saturday, uh, there is a worship event that's taking place at the campus uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, but also that Saturday night, uh, we're actually calling for, the elders are calling for uh, kind of a day of fasting uh, for anybody who wants to participate in that as we pray from Saturday night until Sunday evening. Uh, and then at the gathering, we are going to be having some food there. And so we can actually like break the fast together. Uh, as a church if you do attend that. So uh, just again, some things that are coming up with that. But uh, today, as we're kind of kicking off uh, this week of prayer, um, it's kind of praying about, um, you know, what do we talk about? You know, how, how do we kick off the, the week of prayer? And um, the answer that I kind of got as I was meditating on it was Bible study, which seems kind of odd to me. <laughs> Right? Like, like here we are, we're about to go into this like seven days of like focus on prayer and how to pray and what to pray for and, and, and all of those different things. And, and again, I kept coming back to this sense of, of Bible study and it, it may seem odd to focus on that. But as we've gone through the past years, we've, we've done a number of different things where we focused on, on who we're praying to. And we've kind of meditated on, on who God is, who are we actually speaking to as we pray. And so do we do that at times? Do we like pause for a moment and think that I'm about to speak to the creator of the universe? We focused on that. We've talked about how he's a holy God. We, we've talked about how we can have boldness in prayer. and We can approach the throne of grace with boldness because of Jesus Christ. How we're adopted children and he's our heavenly father. We've looked at uh, answered prayers in Scripture and all the different miracles, healing and guidance. And, and perhaps later this week we'll look at different testimonies within the church and how God has answered prayer uh, through these things. Uh, but today, again, I am impressed with this sense that we need to look at Bible study when it comes to prayer. Because without an anchor, without a, a structure in prayer, without anchoring in the truth, uh, prayer can go any number of different directions. Even to the point where it's hopes and wishes and well wishes that are sent out to the universe on behalf of other people, on behalf of situations happening. Prayer can essentially become our own wants and desires kind of our own personal wish list of what we hope God would do for us. Like, here's the punch list. Here's the checklist. Like, God, if you could take care of these things, I would only be happier. I'd only be healthier. I'd be wealthier. I'd be wiser. My life would be content. And prayer can turn into those things. Uh, our prayers, at times, if they're not anchored in Scripture, can often conflict with the prayers of others. You know, how many different sports teams, before they start off, they're like, all right, Lord, would you help us win this day? How many different nations at war pray, God, help us win this day? And so these prayers can be conflicting one another. Um, or, more often, I think, our prayers can conflict with the desire and the will of God. 
And so by anchoring in Scripture, by, by having a solid foundation of Bible study, we're able to be protected from these ineffectual prayers and also protected from doubt that can arise if the prayers that we do offer up aren't answered, which also happen at times. We've got a number of different examples that we'll go through. The first one uh, that we'll be going through is the uh, praying for the will of God. So again, the, the first thing that Bible study helps us is, is praying for the will of God. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, when his disciples were asking Jesus, how are we to pray? His answer was this. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This was his answer to them. It's a focus on who God is, our place before him, but also this solid acknowledgement of your will be done. It was something at that time in context of history within the nation of Israel that, that much of their prayers at that time were for the Messiah, were for the Savior to come. They were praying for that to happen, but their prayer in that was so that Rome would be thrown off and they could become their own independent nation again. That was the focus of much of their prayers and looking for the Messiah. And here what Jesus is saying is, is oftentimes our will, our desire, what we would like to happen isn't necessarily the plan that God has going on. And, and so a prayer like this, this model prayer saying your will be done is, is this acknowledgement of your will before mine, Lord. What you have to do before mine. And in this example that we're looking at with Israel, as they were praying for Rome to be overthrown by the Messiah, God's actual will, God's actual plan was much greater than just peace within the nation of Israel. It was peace between mankind and God for all of eternity as the chains of sin and death were broken by Jesus Christ on the cross. That the Messiah would come and not be overthrown, but rather from an earthly perspective, it would look as though the Messiah was thrown down. By hanging on a cross. But yet that was God's will. That was his plan. And that's how redemption and freedom came. Not just for Israel from Rome. But to all mankind from sin and from death. Jesus himself actually lived out this type of prayer for us. In the garden of Gethsemane. Before he was betrayed in Luke chapter 22. He said when he went out and went his way as usual to the Mount of the Olives. The disciples followed him. When he reached the place he told them. Pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so even here's Jesus Christ, God himself, in the flesh, walking on the earth, who came born expressly for the purpose to die in our place, to, to bear the sins of mankind upon his shoulders so that we might have freedom. The entire reason that he's there and he's kneeling in this garden of Gethsemane, fully knowing everything that's about to happen to him. And as he's both fully God and fully human, he's bearing the stress of knowing about what is to happen. And he doesn't want to go through it. 
He wants to go through it for the joy set before him, for the, the salvation of mankind. But in his fullness of humanity, he's like, I don't want to be whipped. I don't want nails to go through my hands. I don't want to go through this stress. And, and so his prayer in that moment is, God, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I think it's a wonderful example of how we can pray according to the will of God. That we can have our own desires, that we can have wants, that we can have needs or, or things that we hope that God would do within our life. That he, that he would heal things, that he would change situations. And we can pray for those things. Out of a, a desire, out of a need, out of our wanting to avoid difficulty as humans. The way that Jesus did. But yet his prayer was, not my will but yours be done. It's this ultimate acknowledgement and setting aside, saying, Lord, I would love to see this happen. But if you got something else going on, if there's something more important, your will is greater than mine, and I willingly choose to submit to that and pray for your will. How often do we actually do that? Like, like we just look through, like if we could go through like a, a history like we can with our internet. And like, okay, where, what did I look at? What recipes? What, I really liked that beef bourgeonese or whatever it was. Like, like we can look through the history and find that again. Like, like if we could go and scroll through the history of our prayers, when's the last time that our prayers included, uh, Lord, let your will be done? Because I think a lot of times our prayer is, God, can you do this for me? And we need this done for this other person. And we've got this other situation going on. And, and could you help this? And could you do that? And, you know, a lot of it's us focused. A, a lot of it's things that we would like God to do. How often do we actually add in, Lord, your will be done? And help us to know what that will is. Just adding that is this submission of humility before God and acknowledging that he's God and we're not. And, and so an example of what Scripture can help us is to make sure that our prayers are, include our wants, include our needs, but also include God, your will, and let us know what that is. We can only know this will of God uh, through anchoring in Scripture. We can hear from the Holy Spirit, but what we hear from the Holy Spirit will never contradict Scripture. Uh, otherwise, it's really easy to confuse our will with God's at times. You know, people have, have fallen into the trap uh, of believing that um, or mixing up the idea of their own desires with, with God in different situations. There's one time where I was uh, working with a married couple and uh, the woman felt like uh, God was telling her to leave her husband. And, and so in those situations, it's, okay, well, what's happening? What's going on? Like, is there abuse happening? No, there, there's no abuse. Okay, so there's no physical. He's not physically hurting. No, he's not physically hurting me. Is he verbally abusive? No, he's really, really nice to me. Um, I, I just don't feel excited. I, I just don't feel happy. Okay, so what you're telling me is, is that he isn't doing anything wrong as a husband, that, that you're just not happy, and, and you feel like God is telling you 
that you're supposed to leave your husband? Yeah. Where, where do you see that anchored within Scripture? And so solid Bible study will help us to know who God is, what his desires are, what his precepts are, so that we're anchored. And then when we get those types of feelings and get those senses that we maybe hope is from God because it gives us the permission to do what we want to do, we can anchor it against Scripture and realize that those types of things, that what this woman thought she was hearing from God was certainly not from God. Because it contradicted Scripture. And it guards us from that in order to follow the will of God. The second way that Bible study helps us uh, is by listening for this answered prayer. So again, Bible study helps us in praying for the will of God. Bible study also helps us to listen for his answered prayer. Because those answers will never contradict his word. So for example, this married couple that I was working with. And, and then she's like, I really feel like God is calling me to, to leave my husband. Any particular reason why? No, just, just not happy. We went through everything that we could to make sure that everything was okay as far as the husband. Um, and I said, well, because we couldn't find anything else. I'm like, well, why do you think that God is calling you to leave your husband? Well, he brought me another man was her answer. So again, this, this sense of feeling like, oh, just because this other situation popped up and it's what I wanted, this is God's answer to prayer. And, and I'm like, well, in Scripture, do you see where he says that, that he hates divorce? And then there's certain things that God allows for divorce when, when covenants are broken. That wasn't the situation. Do you see this in Scripture? Yeah, I see that in Scripture. Okay, you're married right now, and you're telling me that God brought you another man. Do you see in Scripture where it says, do not commit adultery? That's like one of the big ten, right? Yeah, no, I know where that is. I just don't feel like that applies to me. And so my only answer in that circumstance is, you're creating and following your own God. You're praying to and hearing from something that is false. Even though you use the name of Jesus, even though you pray to this understanding of a Christian God, because you're not anchored in Scripture, you've created this construct of concept of what you think God is, and basically he's pandering to your own desires. This is why Bible study helps us in listening for answered prayer. Because God will not lead us into sin. God will not cause us to fall into this. James chapter 1 says, Blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. After this desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And so much of the struggle within this, where we we listen for God to be answering prayers, uh, we have to guard against our own desires. Because that's where sin rises from. That's where temptation rises from. That's where we we were able to wander off onto other paths. And knowing the Word of God in Scripture will help to guard us against following our own desires 
and, and just assuming that circumstances that pop up, possibly even um, circumstances that were planned by our enemy, we don't want to attribute that as being an answer from God. And Scripture will guard us in that. Second thing, as we're looking at desires, it also, Bible study helps us to understand at times why prayers aren't answered. So again, the first one, praying the will of God. Second one, Bible study helps us to listen for answers from God, to know that they're true. Third, it helps us to understand at times while prayers aren't answered. Again, James chapter 4 says that, that we pray and we do not receive, or we ask and do not receive. Why? Because we pray with wrong desires. We pray with wrong motives. We're looking to, to build ourselves up. We're looking for things that are not good for us. And we're asking God for those things. And, and as the perfect parents, he's like, no. Right? I, we see this with kids all the time. You know, as they're, especially as they're younger. When, you know, or, oh, can I have ice cream for dinner? Uh, no. You can't. Well, why not? Like, it's dairy, right? And dairy is like, but, but no, you can't have that. Maybe we'll have it for dessert later. But, but as a parent, we have that instruction. We have that guiding and guarding and discipline for our children in order to raise them up in the way that they should go. It's the same with our Heavenly Father. In fact, in Hebrews, it says that, that he disciplines those that he loves. And that we had earthly parents, and they disciplined us as well. And so if we're not disciplined by the Lord, if we're not guided by him, then, then we're not loved by him. And what that means is that there's going to be times when we do pray, and we may have a wrong desire in that prayer, God will not answer it. And he's not answering it out of, out of spite. He's not answering it out of trying to withhold something good from us. But he's withholding it because he knows it's not the best for us. It's not what we really need. And so sometimes our prayers aren't answered because we have the wrong desires, even though it may seem like a good thing. Israel seems like a good thing for Rome to be overthrown so that we can have freedom of worship and we're not underneath their thumb. But rather, God was trying to teach them something through that. That in their arrogance, they were trying to build their own kingdom instead of submitting to him. And in their arrogance, they completely missed it when the Messiah walked in the flesh on the same streets that they lived. We have other passages within this that uh, First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, uh, talks to husbands and says that, that we should treat our wives in an understanding way so that our prayers are not hindered. So right there is an example of Prayers can be hindered by the way that we act at times. In Hebrews chapter 12, we just talked about this. Again, with this discipline and God um, guiding us as children. We'll read it real quick. Um, chapter 8. If you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. I think God at times doesn't answer our prayers because our prayers are really trying to get out of his discipling us. His discipline for us. That, that we make choices within this life. 
And there's consequences to those choices. And those consequences are designed and permitted by God at times in order to bring about correction, in order to bring about discipline. Now, in this passage here, as it's talking about discipline, the word here is not necessarily being used as the sense of like, oh, I'm going to discipline my child, and so time out, or a spanking, or, or whatever it is. This word discipline can mean that, but it also is connected deeply to discipling and to allowing for a process of learning to take place. There's a number of different times as a pastor where people have come up to me with a request, a prayer request that is really trying to circumvent the natural consequences of choices that God can use. I've had people come up to me that have committed a crime and they're saying, okay, can you pray that I don't go to jail? No. I'm not going to pray that. Because in praying that, I, I don't believe that prayer is necessarily going to be answered. God may answer that prayer, but really, where's your heart at? Why don't you want to go to jail? Well, I think it's going to be difficult. I think it's, okay, so you're just trying to avoid a consequence to, to something that is meant to help disciple you. So instead, let's, let's pray about your heart. Let's pray about where you are in the sense of repentance. Let's pray about where you are before God. And, and if you go, we'll pray for grace and mercy, but we pray that, that he will use this in your life. And, and so I worked with this person. We began praying in a different way. Instead of avoiding consequences, that God would walk through the process with him. And that if in God's grace and mercy he was to be not heading to jail, that Lord, let that be your will. This is what we ask. But your will be done, not ours. And if he is to go to jail, then, then what is the purpose for that? And so this person began to pray this way and ended up having to spend some time in jail for what they had done. But they went into it in a different mindset of, I can walk through this with the Lord, being able to learn from him. They walked into that and began to have conversations with, with atheists who had never studied the Bible before. And as they're reading their Bible, begin to have conversations, began to actually witness to other people in the jail, which they had never witnessed to anybody else ever in their entire life. And God used this situation to really kind of transform their, their mindset of approaching this. I think a lot of times our prayers are, are to avoid consequences instead of saying, God, what are you trying to teach me? How can I grow in this? I, I'd like to avoid this consequence, but at the same time, what do I need to learn? And, and I'm not going to learn it so that I, now that I've learned my lesson, Lord, I can avoid my consequence but rather just saying, you're my dad, and I trust you, and I want to grow in whatever the circumstance is. And, and so we do not have our prayers answered at times because we're, our prayer is actually trying to avoid something that God actually has for us to do. Sometimes uh, God doesn't answer our, our prayers uh, because he's doing something that we're unaware of. Uh, we're just not sure of what's happening in particular. And so there's an example in Acts chapter 21, uh, and I really like this when it comes to uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit and prophesying and all these different things. Because in Acts chapter 20, 
Uh, Paul is saying that he is feeling constrained by the Spirit, uh, that he must go um, to Jerusalem, and that he's going to be arrested and put in chains. But yet he feels so convicted by the Spirit that, that this is what he's supposed to do, that, that he is going to go and do this. In Acts chapter 21, verse 4, uh, there's a group of disciples there, and it says in verse 4, it says, Through the Spirit, they, po- they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And so here's this sense where they're getting a sense from the Holy Spirit that if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be put into chains. A little bit further down in Acts chapter 1, there's a prophet there, and this prophet takes off his belt, and he wraps it around Paul, and he says, like, this is what's going to happen to Paul as he heads to Jerusalem. And he just kind of leaves it at that. And so we have three different senses from the Holy Spirit, or rather not different senses. The sense is all the same. There's no contradiction here. Everybody is confirming if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he will be arrested. That's what's happening. Paul's conviction is, I'm supposed to do it. The disciples' conviction is, don't do it. And my guess is they're praying for him not to be arrested. But what happens is, Paul goes... He's arrested. He's brought to Rome. And he brings the gospel to Rome. And as he goes to Rome and then he sends out letters, the the gospel begins to spread into different parts of the world. Again, God may be doing things that we're not aware of. And so we might have prayers in a particular situation where we're asking God to do something and we don't know what he's actually up to. And so scripture teaches us that, that even the disciples themselves, and, and in the disciples here, one of them is Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. Luke here is saying to Paul, don't go. And I'm guessing praying for Paul to be protected in that as well. And, and so scripture teaches us, again, why prayers aren't answered at times, and having this trust in scripture and the examples given to us, can protect us from doubt, from bitterness, from anger when prayers aren't answered because we recognize that there's times when God doesn't for very legitimate and good reasons. The fourth thing this morning uh, that we learn from Bible study uh, is that we're commanded to pray. That we're commanded to pray. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're told to intercede for the saints. Uh, In 1 Timothy, we're told to pray for those who are in authority over us, for the kings and for the rulers, that we might live peaceful lives. And again, acknowledge that at the time that this was written was around the time of Nero and still was in deep oppression from Rome. And they were supposed to do this willingly and with joy for those types of leaders. Uh, How much more so for us who live in a country where we may not agree with those who lead us, but we are not oppressed by those that lead us. And even if we were, we're to pray for them. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus instructs that we are to pray for those that persecute us. James chapter 5 says that we're supposed to pray for the people that are sick. Philippians chapter 4 says that we're supposed to pray and put up requests for our worries and our anxieties and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will be ours in Christ Jesus. We're commanded to, to pray at all times. And so Bible study shows us that prayer is to be an integral part of the Christian's life. The fifth thing 
And the last thing I have for this morning, it's not an exhaustive list, but, but I think this is the best one of all. The Bible tells us why and how we get to pray. The Bible tells us why and how we get to pray. Why do we get to pray to God? He's the God that, that spoke all things into existence. He's the God that's absolutely holy. Scripture says that, that he dwells in unapproachable light. He's the God that says to Moses, you can't look at my face, and so I'm going to hide you in a cleft and walk past you. And, and Moses' face glowed after that. This is the God that cannot abide sin. Why can we speak to him? And why does he listen to us? The Bible tells us it's through the death of Jesus Christ. It's only part of the answer. What else? It's because of the relationship that was purchased by Christ's blood. It was the redemption that took place. Because of the price that was paid, as we come into salvation with him, Scripture tells us that through that we have been redeemed. Through that we have been washed white as snow. Through that we've been given uh, a special consideration and establishment within God's kingdom. Ephesians chapter 2 uh, says that we are seated with him right now in heavenly realms. Ephesians chapter 1 says that we're considered his cherished possession. Scripture tells us that he sees us as a son or as a daughter. John chapter 15, Jesus says, I now call you my friends. I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends. Romans chapter 8, we're told that God is our Abba, that God is our daddy. Hebrews chapter 4 says that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness because of Jesus Christ. This is why we can speak to God. It's not because of anything that we have done. It's not because of, of being having enough gold stars on our spiritual chart so that God likes us and we are able to get five minutes with him. It's because he loves us and wants to spend time with us. This is why we get to pray, and this is how we get to pray. There is not this formal, liturgical thing. Formal, and, and don't get me wrong, liturgical prayers can be awesome at times and can be anchors in times when we don't know what to pray or how to pray. We can be anchored in, in that tradition and use those things. But we're not to be bound to them. We can go to God and, and speak to him as, as our dad and as our friend about anything. And a lot of times we, we don't. But, but the truth is, he knows every hair on our head and he knows every thought in our heart. And, and so if we're being tempted, he already knows that. So why should shame keep us from praying to him and asking for help in our time of need? It shouldn't. He knows that we need that. And really, all we really need in that moment is just to spend time with him. To, to be in his presence. If we're angry and we're gonna, we feel like we should pray for a situation, 
And we're angry, like really angry. He already knows that. So, so why can't we go to him in that moment and be like, ah, work, dude, this is stupid. God, help me in this situation. What, what, there's nothing wrong with that. What if we're broken over something that's happening? And we're so frustrated because it seems like God is, is absent in our life and answering our prayers. We see David doing the same thing in the Psalms, saying, where are you? Why don't you answer me? That's all he's asking. That's, that's what Jesus died on the cross, to be able to give us the gift of prayer, to come to him in any circumstance, in any heart attitude, in anything that we're struggling with, regardless of our emotions in that moment. God already knows what they are. He just wants us to spend time with him. And we have that free access as his favorite kid to do that. This is what prayer allows us to do. This is what Jesus' death allows us to do. And this is what Bible study shows us we're able and have the freedom to do. Because again, within our humanity, within our struggle with shame or propriety or what's right or tradition or all of these other things, we can, we can reason within ourselves that you know, it's not proper to be angry when we pray to God. Or, or I shouldn't be feeling this temptation. And so, like, it'd be silly to pray to God at this moment. But what Scripture tells us, again, is we have this free access to the throne room of heaven that we can enter into boldly. And I think when it means boldly, it's not necessarily in the attitude of, of hey, that's me, I'm here. Let's pray, let's do this. Like this confidence, right? A lot of times when we think of boldness, we think of confidence, right? And so it's not like just walking into the throne room with this confidence of, okay, let's pray, let's do this. But how bold would it be for the son or daughter of a king to burst into the throne room in tears, saying, I need you right now. That's boldness too. And that's what Jesus died to give us the ability to do. And what God wants us to be able to do. Scripture anchors us in prayer. It teaches us how to pray. It, it gives us confidence to, to seek for his will. It gives us strength when we may have doubts over God not answering certain things. But most of all, prayer, the scripture shows us that in prayer, we can be ourselves because we're already fully known. And I think David is a great example of this in the Psalms. But ultimately, prayer is communion with God. Prayer changes things. But most of all, prayer changes us because it's submission to God and His will be done and not ours. We find all of this in Scripture and we're anchored in Scripture regardless of what may come. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning.
Uh, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for scripture uh, that was God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired, uh, that it might be that anchor of truth that would pierce through our own desires, that would uh, cut through our excuses or seeking to be able to have uh, our will be done and not yours. Uh, and so we pray that Scripture would help us to recognize the times uh, when we're seeking ourselves first instead of you. I pray that Scripture would help us to realize that we have uh, a boldness to be able to come before you in any circumstance, whether we are broken or angry or confident. I pray that Scripture would show us the authority that you've given to us that we weren't able to touch on this morning in the name of Jesus that we can pray and people will be healed and that things will change. And most of all, Lord, we pray that your will will be done and not ours. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen.